You are listening to Seattle Sports Saturday with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs on 710 ESPN Seattle. We overlooking the Philadelphia Eagles about 15 minutes from now. We take a look at Philadelphia and what they bring to the table. Text line is there for you, 710-710, if you've got anything to get off your chest. Get your shout-outs in, too. We wrap up every Seattle Sports Saturday at 1145 with your shout-outs. That is 45 minutes from now. But the Seahawks, as they get set to take on the Philadelphia Eagles, we went over some of these questions in the first hour, but there are some that we still have not gotten to. Like, who holds the edge in a rematch? Who is going to come out on top in this one. And we talked about the Seahawks this year in their three rematches against opponents, the Rams, Cardinals, and 49ers. They fell in each of those rematches after winning the first of those two. And we're in a similar instance here with Philadelphia. In fact, I was looking at the Seahawks' road to the Super Bowl. There's a possibility they could have a rematch in every round of the playoffs this year. 49ers in the divisional round if they win, the Saints in the NFC Championship game, and then the Ravens in the Super Bowl. Mm. I can't remember if that's ever happened in NFL history. Something to watch out for. But can we not do that? Just yeah. real quick sidebar. Let's not have that path. Of the I know th- that'd of, be a really of tough the three road. best teams in the NFL to get to this yeah. <laughs> to a Super Bowl title. But who do you guys see as having an edge in this rematch? And yeah, there's going to be a lot that goes into this question. But is it? Cut and dry that the Seahawks are the better of these two teams? I think they're on paper. Again, this is all on paper. Uh, I think the Seahawks do measure as the better team, but I would give the edge to the loser in the in the rematch, In the if that makes sense. So you learn so much from a loss, right? And you can grow so much for some, from some of these losses, especially in the NFL when you don't have them as often. They're truly lesson-learning building blocks. So on paper, it feels like the Eagles will have that edge and that they know what they did wrong and they can fix some of the things that they did wrong in those games, whereas the Seahawks know what they did right and they don't necessarily know everything that they did wrong in the game and are going to have to maintain that level of play. So the the Eagles, you know, if they overachieve, they've improved and they've done better. And if they maintain, they lost and and lose and no one really mentions it. So to me it feels like the edge kind of has that the loser has the edge and that they have a lot more to learn from the first going into the second. When you look at this matchup, Lydia, and You've got the Eagles who have suffered through a lot of injuries, but they they are sort of a different team than what they were in Week 12. Do you think the Seahawks are going to be able to replicate what they did in Week 12 against this Eagles team, or do you expect it to be a different, not, not outcome in who wins and loses, but do you think the route that this game goes, do you think it's going to be higher scoring? Do you think it's going to be a lower scoring game than what it was? How do you see this one playing out? Great question. I think it could be slightly higher scoring on both sides, but I think that the it would still be within a two-score game. I don't think like either – we just know the Seahawks. A, I believe they are going to win, but I don't believe that they blow out any opponents and they, they just make it interesting down the stretch. Let's call it interesting. That's a euphemism. But I could see – the weather conditions are going to be the same, so I could see that being a, a, a challenge for both quarterbacks. 
But I think Russell Wilson has learned. He's the type that's going to learn from that. And I do think that their offense, Rashad Penny, had a breakout day, standout day there. But I think we've seen from running backs this season that it is a true next man up mentality. And if they have enough time in the system to develop that anyone can have a breakout day on that front. And Travis Homer showed those flashes against the Niners. So even though it is a stout run defense in Philly, I believe they can get the run game going, which is going to be important to set up explosive plays. It'll be important for Russ to be able to have at least a few explosive plays as he did last time, a couple of 30-yard completions to three different receivers that I think you're, you're going to want to take advantage of their secondary, their weak pass defense, and get those explosive plays. Text from the A50 on the text line says, feels like me this game's going to come down to who can take the ball away more from the other team. I definitely feel the Eagles have the advantage with their defensive line, but I feel we will get to the quarterback more and create more turnovers. That's from the 850. Shout out to them stopping by. When you when you look at the turnovers, Taylor, that the Seahawks were able to generate against the Eagles, do you think they're going to be able to replicate that, or do you think Philadelphia just has been drilling it into their minds this week of protect the football the way the Seahawks do each and every week? Because that's pretty much how the game was decided in Week 12. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I they're preaching that, Curtis, 100%. I know that's what they're practicing. They're they're doing drills. We know they're beating, trying to punch the ball out. They're doing everything they can to possibly prepare for that, but... If you again, you look at it on paper. Carson Wentz thrown to a quarterback and some no-name practice squad receivers. Is there a possibility the ball bounces off their hands? Diggs is back on the Seahawks defense. He has when he's on the field, the Seahawks are forcing more turnovers. Is he going to be able to help this defense again force more of these turnovers um, when when they need to? So to me, it feels like the Seahawks will be able to get turnovers, and I think that's a great text message. If they can, I think they will replicate exactly what they did last time and control the game and control the way the game's played. And if they don't, it feels like Philly uh, will have a better advantage of doing that. To your point, too, I think that signifies the importance of getting out to a fast start for the Seahawks because they need to put Philly on their heels. They need to put Carson Wentz in an uncomfortable position because that's when he gets too much on his plate he tries to make too many plays, and, and he was responsible for four of those five turnovers in that last game. Doug Peterson mentioned after the game, he was just trying to do too much. So if you if you put him in that uncomfortable position uh, where he doesn't have the most experience with his wide receivers or the most trust, Zach Ertz isn't able to go. That's a security blanket. So I think you have to get out to a fast start in this game and, and really force Carson Wentz into those mistakes. And is Wentz still have that thought in the very back of his mind that my backup won the Super Bowl here? That Nick Foles took my team to the Super Bowl and won? That my city was booing me earlier this year? Yeah. Right. Is that still in the back of his mind, that doubt that essentially could haunt him in this game and force him to try harder and force the situation knowing that he has to fill these shoes of being a successful quarterback in a sports city that demands the most, no matter what. I I mean, that's going to play into the Seahawks' favor, I think. Yes. Especially because this is Wentz's first ever playoff start. And yeah, he's he's been in the NFL a while and you know, he's he's shown in the in the regular season he's a great quarterback, but he's never played in a game of this magnitude. What we're gonna see on Sunday between the Seahawks and Eagles. One, one thing that I, I think hasn't been looked at is 
at least in the lead-up to this game tomorrow, is should we expect more flags from this referee crew? Now, we don't <laughs> normally break down referee crews, but I think tomorrow's is going to be an interesting one. Now, Sean Smith, he is in his second year as a lead referee. He's uh, been an NFL referee for five seasons now. His crew has called the most unnecessary roughness penalties of any crew in the NFL, 23 of those, so more than one per week they are averaging. And his crew is also called the second most roughing the passer fouls, which could actually play into the Seahawks' favor because over the last couple of weeks we have seen Russell Wilson take some absolute shots and not get those calls. Yeah, what the heck, man. Yeah. And to the point of he hardly ever displays emotion on the field, but the point of where Russell Wilson's banging on the ground because he's like, come on, how many times do I have to get hit late before you call this on on me? Of course, after the game, he's a perfect you know leader and is not throwing anyone under the bus. But I, that's a great point, Curtis, because how much were penalties the last part of this game last time they matched up? 12 penalties for 90 yards, and now this is the crew that, is going to to they, they use their whistle. Yeah. Yep. They're not afraid to uh, to blow a play dead. So you got to play a clean game. Yeah. And you know, that's one of the things that always has challenged the Seahawks is the flags and the certain discipline within the game whether it's from the coaches and getting them ready for the play or the actual, you know, players themselves. So, you know, with that you know, increased roughness penalty flag throwing, all of that that comes along with the Sean Smith crew, uh it can go both ways. The flags can go on the other side as well. And, you know, could a third and 15 turn into a third and five on a big situation? They convert in a big situation. Those are things that truly terrify me about the game tomorrow is can the Seahawks, will the Seahawks let them back in? Because it feels like they have the most control over that. Well, the thing about this crew's propensity to to call these kinds of penalties these are personal fouls. Mm-hmm. These are 15-yard penalties, yep. which that is a, a first down and a half. Yep. That is something that can either extend a drive or completely ruin a drive. And I hope it doesn't come down to that tomorrow. I really hope it, it doesn't. But it's something you should definitely be keeping an eye out for uh, because if it comes down to it, don't say we didn't warn you. Yes. That's, I'm just saying. Seattle <laughs> yeah. Sports Saturday that's where you want to. That's where you want to be. Yep. We're the people's champs for a reason. We're it the is. table show. We yeah. love tables. Yeah, and the people and chairs, nice and ones, chairs. Yeah. maybe ladders. <laughs> and we're All just, furniture. And we're just getting ready for this playoff game. We're going to continue to get ready for it. Have we overlooked the Philadelphia Eagles at all? Have we just blown right by them? Looked to the 49ers in the divisional round. Well, we're not going to overlook them anymore. We talked that coming up. Seattle Sports Saturday, seven ten, ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Great text coming in on the text line 710-710 from the 718. It says, we cannot continue to spot championship caliber teams, Philly included, a certain number of points and expect Russell Wilson to do last-second heroics all the time. you got to capitalize on takeaways, win field possession, and get positive yards on first down. That's coming from the 718. Love it. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it time and time again with Russ having to bail the Seahawks out. It was just a week ago against the 49ers, down two scores at halftime, and it came down to the final drive, and they fell short. Sometimes it works out in the Seahawks' way. What was it? They set an NFL record or tied an NFL record for most 
one possession wins in a season was at the 78 Oilers uh, with 10. 10 of their 11 wins came by one possession. This is it's how it is. Like I, I fully expect tomorrow to be a one-possession game. Mm-hmm. The slow starts, I think, is, is a frustrating part of that and expecting then Russell Wilson to do his late-game heroics thing because we also have seen the alternative where they have come out and scored on the first three possessions of a game. And, 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 and you see those moments, and you're like, why can't we do this all the time? I know. They make it look so easy. <laughs> yeah. Put and a then, team on their heels. And then for whatever reason, they get a cold <laughs> spell, and it's like, yeah, all right, cool. Uh, we just need to get a dollar. We need four quarters out of these guys. Please, get four it. quarters. Let's get it. So you look at the Eagles and how they have gotten to the postseason. They were 5-7 and seven following that game against the Seahawks. And since then, they won four in a row. They're nine and seven winners of the NFC East division, which in 2019, not something you would brag about to anybody. Nah. Can't imagine they've sold many merchandise in their team store that says 2019 NFC East champions, which reminds me, my dad still, I don't know if he still wears this sweatshirt, but he, he had, a, what was it, a 2009 NFC West division champion shirt. I will say Molly, my wife now, has stolen one of my 1988 AFC West champion sweatshirts that I had, which uh, aged pretty well, but, uh, you know, the the title means nothing. Text in your most strange championship sports memorabilia. Yeah. And not like. You cannot believe how excited we are. That was for some Patriots AFC Championship merchandise, yeah. which they've got. What? Models. They came down here from a place of business to Models for what, Linda? Yeah. AFC Championship T-shirts. They've, it's the best sound. They've won more conference titles than any team in football, and yet that lady has that. Like, just wait it out for the Super Bowl T-shirt too. Yeah. You really need the AFC Championship T-shirt. Boston, just a different Respect. sports city. Respect. They just think differently than us. <laughs> It is foreign to me. <laughs> but you look at the Eagles, Carson Wentz, he's got his yardage despite having really nobody to throw to, and we still don't know if Zach Ertz is going to play tomorrow. It would be remarkable if he did. Let's just put it out there. With reports yes. that he has a lacerated kidney, that he's Oof. also got hurt ribs. Right. It's at least a bruised kidney. Whether sure. it's lacerated or bruised, we're talking about internal organs and we're using the words laceration. Just think yeah, about that. And this guy's Ugh. thinking about playing. Yucky. Ugh. No. Philly, they've no. advanced in the playoffs each of the last two seasons, but that was without Carson Wentz. Lane Johnson expected to miss tomorrow's game. Uh, at least that's what the reports are coming out of Philadelphia right now. We still have not gotten official word from the Eagles at all. But, man, oh, man. Are they a good enough team to advance in the postseason? I I just I look at the Eagles right now, and I get that uncomfortable feeling I had going up against the Cowboys last year in the wild card round. And maybe it's if that Cowboys game hadn't happened, maybe I'd be a lot more confident in what the Seahawks are going to do tomorrow. But there, there's just something about this Philadelphia team that, despite the rash of injuries that they have, something doesn't sit right. Well, I think that's a testament to to their team, the way that they just didn't give up on the season, that they saw pretty much their entire offense go down at one point, and 
and they still rallied. We've you see a lot of other teams who don't have as great of leadership and head coaching fall apart in that same type of situation. Or even a counterpart of theirs, the Cowboys, with the talent that they have on their roster on the opposite side of things, had high moments this season. And then because of their head coaching and their dysfunction, couldn't pull it together, couldn't beat the Eagles in the end. So I think it's a testament to Doug Peterson and a testament to Carson Wentz and, and the job that they've done there. But I agree, you can't overlook them. Any team in the playoffs, uh, it's a new season, as we heard from Russell Wilson and Carson Wentz this year. It's a one-game season. And so with that in mind, you almost have to like put the last matchup out of your head and look at this with fresh eyes. And the 484 texting in, they're listening from Philly right now, and they're talking about listening in Philly. Eagles fan. It's funny that both fan bases are the same. Confident, yet really nervous about injuries. Substitutes the name and the teams, and they're you're talking the same exact things. That's so point. They're feeling the same exact thing. That Look, they figured it out. Even with all the injuries, they figured it out. They're rolling. This is what you want to be doing as you're heading into the playoffs, and whether I know what we talk about doesn't necessarily mean that the Seahawks are talking about it or that they aren't talking about it. Like we may be looking over the Eagles, but I can guarantee you that Pete Carroll has had them watching Eagles film, that they're not watching Niners film. They're not looking ahead in that way that this organization is actually one of the best in the league at actually taking it one week at a time and, and not overlooking any team in any situation. And I think that's why they're able to win those one-possession games is that they know what they're in for. They know they're in for a tough fight. The difference between the worst team and the best team in the NFL isn't that big of a margin. So know that any given Sunday a team can win and prepare that way, and I think and I believe the Seahawks are the best at doing that in the NFL. That's a good text that that Philadelphia listener brought up because both of these fan bases are so used to their teams advancing in the playoffs I looked at the Seahawks, their last 10 postseason trips, they've advanced in nine of them. And the Eagles, last two years, they won the Super Bowl in 2017. Last year, they made it to the divisional round, losing the heartbreaker to New Orleans. And then, you know, you look at the just the last decade plus for Eagles fans, you know, they the Andy Reid years where they were going to NFC Championship games all the time. Uh, they made it to the Super Bowl against the Patriots about 15 years ago or so. These are fan bases that have just gotten used to seeing their teams go deep into the postseason, and for one of these these two teams, it's going to be sort of a foreign feeling where it's like, oh, we don't get to watch the divisional round with any sort of rooting interest. We don't get to go to the championship game with any kind of, you know, with anything at stake, and, and that's going to be a, a weird thing for one of these fan bases to experience tomorrow, but, I mean, it's going to happen, and... I sure as heck hope it is Philadelphia fans with that feeling of having a, you know, kind of like, well, what happened to our season than it is here in Seattle because I sure as heck like talking about a team that's alive in the playoffs rather yeah. than one that's going home. I mean, shout out to our friend listening from Philly. Yes. We yeah. love you, appreciate you, yeah. but also hope. It's hope, on. Yeah. yeah you know. We're 24 or 25 and a half hours away from it being on. <laughs> uh, some of the uh, random merch you guys Ooh. have texted in. Yes. 253, a Bronco Buster and Raiders hater t-shirt. Whoa. Love yeah, that. I have the I have that, actually. From the old AFC West days. Whoa, 360. I have a 1955 Syracuse football sweatshirt. I'm 24 years old and have never been to New York. It's cool, though. Heck Shout yeah. Out. Shout out to the That's rad. <laughs> uh, let's see here. A lot of Super Bowl 48 memorabilia. I mean, 
who doesn't have mm-hmm. some Super Bowl Forty Eight memorabilia? As you should. Yeah, I want to know. I want to be friends with the people whose parents owned four, or maybe still own the 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 screen printing company. That's one of the Smart. more underrated things is knowing yes. somebody that has their own screen printing like service That's, or yeah. business. Yeah, got a guy to have a guy or a girl. Yeah. Wow, got a guy. You want? You always want a guy. Like, you always want a guy. Yo, my people <laughs> talk to your people. Yeah, it's great. It's the best thing to have. Uh, yeah, I mean, you look at this Eagles team and, and just what they are capable of. I mean, there was somebody on the text line that says, I fear no team that has lost to Miami this season. You don't fear the, the Patriots? Patriots? I mean, I kind of see where they're coming from because at the beginning of the year, if you had told me a team was going to lose to that Dolphins team yeah. and what you would think about that team, you would have laughed. And then if I told you the Patriots would not only lose to this Dolphins team, but they would lose a bye and one of the top seeds in the conference because of it. You would also laugh at me and call me an idiot. But yet here we are. And I know they probably text that in with a bit of jest, but I, I kind of vibe with that thought that, yeah, they did lose to the Dolphins. And maybe they aren't as good as they are. And I know you are what your record says you are, but maybe they aren't. I mean, they have the same amount of wins as the Arizona Cardinals do, and they beat the Seahawks in all three phases of the game handedly. So I think it's that comment you made, Taylor, about the separation between the best and the worst NFL teams on any given Sunday. It's, right. It's any team feels like they can win one game. Well, one thing the Dolphins have on their side that no one else does, they got Fitzmagic. Oh, right? The, the magic, baby. I mean, <laughs> when he's out there. You're either getting, you know, four interceptions or four touchdowns. Yeah. And he went to Harvard, by the way. He, what? Yeah. I just Ooh. wanted breaking news. <laughs> Dang. I didn't Since know when? Yeah, I know. Unbelievable. We break the headlines that nobody else is talking about. 206, the Dolphins. How about the Cardinals? Yeah, I think I would feel a lot better if the Seahawks hadn't lost to that Cardinal team. I'd be way more confident. That's what I'm saying. Like on any given day, you'd probably know. actually be a better seed if they had won that game, too. But, you know. Well, you just had to go. Neither here nor there. Yeah. <laughs> Keep texting in your random merch. A lot of good ones. <laughs> so good. 253, I have a ticket from Steve Largent Night at the Kingdom. That's, That's any Kingdom merchandise. We're coming up on what? The Kingdom, it's been 21 years now since the Kingdom last stood, or 20 years. Wow. It's been, been, a, been a minute. Coming up next, we look at some of the biggest matchups facing both of these two teams, the Seahawks and the Eagles, tomorrow. The coaching battle, the quarterback battle. Offensive line versus defensive line. Who's got the edge? We tell you right here. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. We got so distracted with all of your random merchandise texts (laughs) coming in, including tweets, too. Taylor you had a buddy tweet at you. With yeah, I just tweeted it out at ones. Taylor Jacobs. And, uh, yeah, Prague, my buddy from uh, the eSports world, if I can find it, I have a signed Sesame Street script signed by David Robinson, the Admiral. The Admiral was a host of Sesame Street in season wow. 27. The best season, of course. Oh, yeah, <laughs> In a segment where Count Von Count and a group of kids count how many times he can dribble a basketball. He also appeared... In a celebrity version of the Alphabet Song, he was the letter Q. Of course, <laughs> classic. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah, keep texting him in, tweeting him in, 
think your we found most, a new show segment. Yeah, what's your most do? random sports memorabilia that you've kept, that you have, that you've received? We love we love hearing it. It's pretty wild. That episode aired in between November of ninety five and May of ninety six. So that is about a twenty five year old script. Assessment. That's so cool. It is. Uh, more text coming in three six zero a nineteen eighty eight Coog Bowl jersey. My dad knew the owner of the company in Spokane that made them. Uh, we've got a couple more. A lot of Matt Hasselbeck two five three Matt Hasselbeck autographed football and a picture of him signing it. Heck yeah. What was it? Those Costacos Brothers posters? Oh yeah, yeah. I have you a have a buddy like yeah, uh, he uh, found, found a storage unit and they you know like the like a storage wars type situation. They bought the storage unit and in the back were uncut samples of Costacos Brothers posters. Woo. So that's crazy. I got a couple of those. I, I got the Jordan one from him. I ended up buying the Kirby Puckett one from him. Uh, they're so cool. I if think the Costacos Brothers are listening. Yes. You're, Please hook, hook us up. Hook yeah. us up. Yeah. Uh, if you're if you're willing to do one of us, we'd love to do oh one of just like some exploding microphones and uh, like some crazy Rottweilers. Like who knows? I think I have one of theirs, a t-shirt form, the Boz as well, like the Land of Boz uh, oh, yeah. t-shirt. Yes. And uh, that's a classic. Autographed cleat from old Oakland A's reliever Jeff Jones. From Alpha Beer Guy on Twitter. I think we found our new segment. We're going to do it like, we're gonna do like, it like Antiques Road. Yeah. yeah. Just, you know. Text them in. Tweet yeah. them in. This is great. What a great way Love to it. end the uh, Loving this. Loving the this. Uh, the biggest matchups we're going to see tomorrow between the Seahawks and the Eagles. Uh, head coaching. Pete Carroll, Doug Peterson both have a Super Bowl title to their resume. Who, are you guys, who do you guys give the edge to between these two guys who have had tremendous amounts of success in their careers, Peterson with a much shorter coaching career than Pete Carroll has had, but in a in a one-game situation, who are you looking at as having the edge between these two teams? I think both of these coaches are very similar. They've both um, managed to take their teams through some low points this season, uh, points of adversity, or even in their tenure with these teams, but in-game decision-wise, we mentioned on the blueprint to beating the Eagles, written by Shil Kapadia uh, of The Athletic, he talks about avoid game management mistakes. That's the last and final uh, number on that list. And uh, Doug Peterson gets the edge when it comes to in-game decision-making. But in all other elements of coaching, I give it to Pete. Being the coach that gets your team prepped for the game throughout the week, and that's such a and that's such a small thing that can be fixed, which is what I think should give Seahawks fans hope. Yeah, Monday through Saturday, there's no doubt who the better coach is, and it's Pete, and mm-hmm. it's the way you can just see and culture. Yeah, and just you, you look at his tenure here in Seattle and what he's been able to do week in and week out with this team. And again, we we have the benefit of knowing a little bit more and having more data to back up Pete Carroll in Seattle than Peterson in Philly, but and also just the, the feel of this Seahawk team, right when you. Just the way they get ready, the, the the schedule, you know, tell the truth Monday, all of these different things that he has instilled in this in this franchise. But yet on Sunday, I would agree with you, Lydia, that it feels like Peterson has the edge in that in-game coaching situational type. And maybe know. if the Seahawks didn't have an ending to Week 17 the way they did, our answer would be different. 
Uh, Pete Carroll talked about the final drive, specifically the delay of game penalty, and if there was confusion on the play. No, we just we just didn't function cleanly. I mean, it had to do with a number of different variables. You know, George being, we weren't sure what he was doing, and it, not from the sidelines, but in the huddle there was concern, and it was just just stuff that just bogged it down, you know, time-wise. And uh, we didn't function as fastly as we needed to, and uh, so just unfortunate. So he says there wasn't confusion, they just didn't function cleanly. Kind of, uh, you know, a classic Pete spin on things. They they mentioned, though, this week during practice that they actually practiced that 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 final sequence so that they could avoid situations like this in the future. Russell Wilson mentioned that. So did a Brian Schottenheimer. So that's the part that's hopeful, right? You recognize that there are things that you need to clean up and that you can't allow it to come down to that in huge game situations. Yeah, and it just feels like that, that it's sort of the truth we have to live with, right? That if you think about all the big Seahawks games, they come down to the last play or the last couple plays and something happens in the fourth quarter to tilt it one way or the other. So it's just sort of the truth you have to accept with a Pete Carroll-led Seahawks team. And another thing that comes with a Pete Carroll-led Seahawks team is sort of a confusing way of using timeouts. Yep. Sometimes they get burned in situations where, you know, kind of wonder, like, is this going to come back to bite the Seahawks? Pete also talked about this week what goes into the decisions to call these timeouts. There's a lot going on there, a lot more than, than people realize. Really, I work with Nate on, on all that stuff. Um, he's he's got he's got it nailed. Uh, you know, at the 336 mark or something like that, we had it figured out that uh, we could use one timeout there and get to the two-minute warning, and, have, and if it all worked out right, we'd have two going in, which worked out exactly like we had hoped. Um, and so at 1.56, two timeouts, we're going, you know, and we're, we're, we're rolling with the football, which is plenty of time. Now we just need to work the clock so they don't have any, any time left. So that's really why you hold them and, and you hold those timeouts. We called timeout, I called it on fourth down because it was fourth down, you know, and it was the whole, everything was, and I wanted to make sure everybody knew exactly what we were doing. I think, didn't they come back and call timeout also yep. right after that, you know, to take a look at the, what dramatic. we were trying to do. Yeah, it was, it was perfectly dramatic. So Nate Carroll, his son, uh, also on the coaching staff there, big in uh, what situations the Seahawks use their timeouts in. Um, But just there are times where it's like, okay, I don't know if they really thought this one through, but apparently they do. Apparently there is a a system that it goes through in order for the Seahawks to use a timeout. It's not just kind of willy-nilly as though it appears. Yeah, it just and then my follow up question is so then what what do we do? What do you change? What do you work on? How do you work on it? There's just so many other questions I guess that if they are thinking this way and it isn't as simple as they're not. Well, what can we do then in the process that you have to improve it because something is happening. There's a disconnect. There's a clear disconnect between the fact that you have just random you-know-whos on Twitter who play Madden, and I'm one of them, talking about game time situation and clock management and timeout management and all of these things, and we're nobodies, okay? We don't have the a shred of experience compared to these guys or a shred of information compared to these guys, and yet it still feels like there's a disconnect there. So my question would be, how do we fix that disconnect? I don't I mean, that's, that, that's a two-week, every-hour 
show right there. <laughs> that's like, you know, some That's a Netflix special yeah. that we do multiple seasons on. And, it's like uh, a three-hour podcast. And... Right, yes. And it's hosted by This Great American Life. But um, <laughs> it's, it's just one of the, the ultimate questions. I don't know if we'll ever get the answer to in Seattle, but I just wonder what is that disconnect? So who you got tomorrow? Who you got between the Seahawks and Eagles? Text that into the Coors Light text. And also text in your shout-outs. what outs. you got? Text us what random stuff yeah, you got because it's yeah we've got up. more. Uh, what do we have here? We've got a game worn autograph Rick Meyer jersey. A heck yeah! Cubs. Shout out to the Rick Meyer Jersey Club. This may be one of the crazier ones we've got out there from the two five three. I have a Cub Scout book for my son autographed by Mario Andretti, <laughs> the the great American yeah, the, leg- the legendary race car driver Mario Andretti. Oh wow! Where's the connection there? I don't, I don't get it. But hey, you got it. Shout out to you. Yeah, uh, every, a lot of people weighing in. Sully over there from Cairo weighing in as well. He's got a signed Derek Anderson football. I don't from, know from when, from who, from where. Who knows? Former Beavers and Browns quarterback. Yeah, five oh nine. A couple days ago, my boss gave me an autographed Mike Morse jersey. <laughs> yeah. Whoa. Nice. Wow. Did maybe you should trade it for a John Jason jersey? Yikes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> text in your shout-outs to the Coors Light text line, 710-710. We wrap things up. Seattle Sports Saturday, 710 ESPN Seattle. Seattle Sports Saturdays with Lydia Cruz, Curtis Rogers, and Taylor Jacobs. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Shout-out to all of the great texts we've gotten today. It's been a banner day on the text line, especially with all the great memorabilia getting texted in. Shout-out to, well, let's see, the 206 Signatures from Brock Heward and Danny O'Neill. Yeah, that's that's a random one. Yeah. Mainly the latter more than the former. Two five three. <laughs> I have an autograph hunting book that Keith from the Wizard on Deadliest Catch sign. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> that's what we need. Keep texting him in. Shout out to all of you for just keeping this memorabilia too. Uh, a Chipper Jones bat mug. I think mm. it's a mug made out of like oh, a yeah. portion of his sure. bat. Yeah, something yeah. Like that. That's from 206. Don't you have like a 2001 Seahawks yearbook that you picked up? A I do, yeah, yeah. And it had a Brock Heward autograph in it. My yeah. dad, th- so this so is back cool. when like you could win an opportunity to go to the draft room. And like this is before cell phones. So, wow, like, this is before like right. the NFL was like. Yeah, and my dad won some auction and he got to go sit either outside the war room or like just right inside the war room. And there were, like, players who came by, and, like, Mike Holmgren signed this thing. It was just – and then to be employed here, to be working with Brock, to be a peer <laughs> of his, and then to be looking through old memorabilia and be like, huh, look at oh, this. Hey. Yeah. I also have a Brock Heward uh, UW jersey, if I'm going to out myself mm. here. I have a bunch of UW jerseys. For being a Wazoo guy, probably cool it. I think the the most <laughs> random autograph I own is – well, I don't know if I own it anymore, but – because I ended up playing with this ball, was a Rob Johnson, former Mariners backup catcher autograph ball that I won in a contest at what was then Safeco Field, now T-Mobile Park. I Rob Johnson. My most random, to this day, I have a autographed picture headshot from Floyd Landis. <laughs> 
<laughs> the disgrace Tour de France win? Pre-Tour de France wins, but like in the time when like Floyd Landis was a deal. So it was like, whoa, you got like a Floyd Landis autograph. So was, you got it signed before he won the Tour de France. You had about a week window where that right. thing was worth like thousands of dollars. Right. It was like a real limited window where you cared about it and then right before you didn't care about it. So <laughs> shout, out, shout out Floyd Landis and his yeah. drug use. Uh, some other shout-outs coming in here, and I think this is a great one. Oh, man, I just lost the number. 360, shout-out to all the wonderful service members in our armed forces. Who knows where things are heading in this country, so just want to give them a thanks. And I would also like to mirror that and always like to give them. They make the ultimate sacrifice sometimes, and they do something that's beyond brave and always want to give them a shout-out. And they're they're just due, I guess, as you would call it, even though it's they need more and they it's not just until – we, we all respect them the same. Absolutely. Uh, some more shout-outs. Shout-out to my wife, Ashley. This is from the 253. We're going to Acapulco. On Woo! Whoa. That's great, a trip. Great, Heck yeah. Great time to go. Uh, Send from, photos. From the 509, shout-out to my friend Dar- Darquise, uh, who just graduated from Wazoo. Ooh, shout-out. Yeah. All the grads. Yeah. Yeah, because this is a winter graduation. Time. Yeah, yeah. So if you're graduating early, you're, you're, this is about the time you're doing it. Absolutely. Uh, some more shout-outs. Shout-out to the uber-interesting 2019 Seahawks. Go out there and give them hell tomorrow. Win or lose, we love you. That's from the 509. And then shout-out from the 541 to Beast Mode, getting it done tomorrow. Skittles yep. everywhere. Road Skittles. That'll be interesting if that happens. That'd I would be great. imagine it would. Yeah, there are going to be some fans there mm-hmm. for sure. Uh, some more Great, great memorabilia being texted in from the 425, a Taco Wallace autograph. Oh, man. It would be so cool if it was a Taco Wallace taco holder. Well, At that time, the Seahawks had Taco Wallace and Porkchop Womack, which was a a great time in all of our lives. Yeah. Uh, Some more great memorabilia. Let's see here. um, We got a Joey Cora candy bar autograph. Didn't know he had his own candy. Me either. Uh, I got a shout-out, or a couple shout-outs here. What you got? One, well, I'll shout-out my sisters, who gave me this super dope starter Sonics throwback. Yes. Um, and it's all from from the times when they had the old, you know, Kingdom logo, so That's I appreciate okay. that. Uh, Going to give a shout-out to Kendall Roque, Kroke, or K-R-0-Q-U-E on Instagram. He's the guy who's been designing... Brandon Jackson and Quentin Jefferson's cleats this season. So if you've seen any of his cleats, if you're a sneakerhead or just a Seahawk fan, he's been doing some really, really cool work, and you kind of get to see his whole process on Instagram if you follow him. So, again, if you're a sneakerhead, if you like the Seahawks, if you just like cool stuff on Instagram that is fun to look at, uh, at KR0QUE, follow Kendall, great dude, just awesome to see the NFL start to lean into this stuff and really let the players express themselves in their footwear. And it's just become such a cool part of sports and sports culture, just sneakers in general. So I'm a big sneakerhead, So I just always want to shout out and he's local. He's from Seattle. You all want to shout out the people from here and the people doing good things for your city. So shout out Seattle Absolutely. as well. Let the kids play. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, my shout out this week. I wanted to shout out, our friend Tommy, who sent us an email this oh. past week, oh, yeah. uh, based on a conversation we had uh, a, this time a week during ago. our shout-outs, talking about how difficult the holidays can be for, for people, and they can end up being isolating and lonely if you struggle with anxiety or depression 
or any other sort of mental mental health struggles, um, A, I can relate to that, and B, uh, we wanted to just remind you that there's people that care about you and, and you are surrounded by support, whether it is us simply here on the show, but also other people around you. So, Tommy, thank you for sending this incredibly kind email to our show yeah. uh, via Mike Salk and uh, really touched me the words that you uh, that you said and meant a lot to me and rem- reminded me that we're silly sometimes when we come in here and talk about uh, memorabilia and we have a lot of fun and joke around, but it just means a lot that, you know, we mean something to you yeah. and that we could help you in a time when you're going through some hard things. Tommy's a veteran too and uh, deals with some struggles. And so I, we just so appreciate you, everything you've done for our country and the fact that you allow us to be part of your Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, the point of the segment, right, is to give people and things an opportunity to talk about the positives and talk about the things that are great about. So often we talk about the criticisms and the negatives and where we fall short. Correct. And and, and rightfully so. There's always a time and a place to have those healthy discussions. And sometimes you just need to pick me up and you need to talk about the positives. And there are great things happening in Seattle, great things happening in Washington and in the United States of America and the world. And I think so often we overlook those. So it's a great opportunity here at the end of our show to kind of help you talk about what you want to talk about and shout out what we want to shout out. Uh, it's, it's personal. It's, you know, sports bring us together and we want to give you the opportunity. Say what matters to you because you have given us the opportunity for us to talk about what matters to us. It's what this what this segment's all about. And, yeah. and we just we love uh, we love giving people a platform and also reminding you that. Yeah, we're we're all in this together for sure. My shout out is going to be to the new year. It's 2020. Yeah. We're four days deep into it already. Uh which the turn of the calendar in my mind signals the part of the sports calendar that I hold nearest and dearest because you've got NFL playoff football beginning mm-hmm. in about what an hour and a half. Yes, sir. The, yeah. the Houston Texans invitational. Which then you, which around <laughs> February time starts to get college basketball season, March Madness, the NBA starts to pick up a little bit. Uh, pitchers and catchers yeah, report date, exactly Excuse me, the most romantic holiday of the year. Lord February. Stanley's chalice, yeah. the playoffs begin. Heck yeah, all that, and then oh by the way, at some point within the next probably month to two months, we're gonna get a name for our NHL team. In town. Oh yeah. 2020, big year in town. 2020, big year for CL Sports Saturday. I'm feeling it. I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling it. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us here on this Saturday. Make sure you tune in tomorrow. 10 a.m. is when the Seahawks pregame show coverage gets underway. And then at 1.40 will be kickoff. You can listen to the entirety of it, also the postgame show, right here on 710 ESPN Seattle. That's going to do it for us, for Lydia Cruz and Taylor Jacobs. I'm Curtis Rogers. This has been Seattle Sports Saturday.